0: who were pretty much responsible for who I am as a person. And I'm my mom and dad came together to, to conceive me and bring me into this world. But my my grandparents fed me and poured into me and and helped cultivate who I am today and losing. <laughs> losing them was hard I'm 37 years of age still cry like a baby every time I think about my granddad but it's good to know that we have family we could lean on and a God who we could trust to know that when things don't make sense sometimes we have a God that's right there cheering us on and and giving us strength my my wife is going to laugh at me after this because she's going to think it it didn't take that long for him to break down in front of everybody else but, but it's been a month now so going into my second month that's okay oh The time is almost here. Matthew has built and worked his way to this point in chapter 26, verse 26 and following. He's made his case for Jesus as the prophesied Messiah that was to come. All of the witnesses have identified him, Jesus, as the one. Matthew starts off his account as he shows proof and claim to the throne being that is speaking about Jesus being the descendant or the son of David. He shows his proof of being the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise That was the seed promise that God would have made to Abraham. Matthew sets out and he builds a case and he shows the many witnesses that account that Jesus was in fact the one. He shows that genealogy bore witness to Jesus. Angels bore witness to Jesus, wise men bore witness to Jesus, even the prophets bore witness to Jesus, the star in heaven bore witness to Jesus, John himself bore witness to Jesus, the spirit descended on Jesus like as of a dove. It bore witness to Jesus. If that wasn't enough, even God himself said, Behold, this is my beloved Son. God bore witness to Jesus. Jesus himself, through his ministry and mission in the life that he led and he lived, bore witness to the fact that he was indeed the Messiah. Luke would record in Luke chapter 1, verse number 1, the former treaties have I made with thee, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus both began to do and to teach. Jesus was, in fact, the real deal. So Matthew has built a solid case in showcasing Jesus as the Messiah. And now he is getting to the climactic aspect of his message, which is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. If Jesus is to be known and recognized as the Messiah, he must meet every criteria of such a role. If he is to be the savior, the deliverer, the life giver, and the liberator of all mankind, While his genealogy is important, and while his life means something, if he does not fulfill his obligation on the cross, then he doesn't even begin to meet the need of the world in removing the barrier of sin and creating a pathway for all of mankind to have a relationship with God. So finally, finally... Matthew is almost ready to make abundantly clear that Jesus doesn't the criteria, but all of it. Jesus doesn't just go some of the way, he goes all of the way have come and gone claiming to be a savior of some sort as a matter of fact there are a number of people even in today the day that we live in still claim to be the savior but there can was and will only be one the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the way, the truth, and the life. There could be only one, one fountain of living water, one bread of life, one king of kings and lord of lords, one alpha and omega, one beginning and one end, one good shepherd, one light of the world, one resurrection and the life. There could be, church, only one. The one who was given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ, I feel good now. (laughs) That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There could be only one. So finally, the time is almost here. But before his time comes, there are some valuable lessons and instructions to be given. Not only are there lessons and instructions to be given, but there are some reminders, check this, some repurposing, some predictions, and a prophetic word that Jesus has to impart on his followers. Matthew records a number of these in the moments just before, during, and after the Messiah institutes what became known to us as the Lord's Supper or the Communion. So in Matthew chapter 26, I want to do this really quickly so we could get into some of the main points of our text. In Matthew chapter 26 verses 26 through 30, the broader context is actually Jesus and his disciples are eating the Passover meal. This is nothing new or shouldn't be anything new to any one of us here. Jesus uses a meal that had a memorial message for the Jews. And he turns it into a memorial message meal for those who in the near future would have answered the gospel call. So what I want to look at for these next few minutes is based on a sermon I have entitled, The Message in the Meal. Repeat after me. The Message in the Meal. The Message in the Meal. There is no shortage of connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. As one of my mentors growing up would have often said, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, while the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Uh, And so you've heard me say from the pulpit before that in order for us to really appreciate and understand the depths of the things that we practice in the New Testament, we have to grow to learn to appreciate and understand what it meant would have meant from an Old Testament Perspective. And so I want to beg your attention with me over the next few minutes into the book of Exodus, chapter 12. And I want us to appreciate this it's easy to miss a lot of the details in a text because our text is so familiar. I don't want us to think, well, we know everything about Passover, we know everything about Exodus 12, we know everything about about Matthew 26 verses 26 through 30, because these are texts that we've often gone to for years. We could miss a lot of the messages based on the fact that we have become so familiar with particular texts. And so I hope everyone keeps our open mind as we engage in this particular text on today. If you don't mind, just read with me from verses 1 through verse 11. Let me just read this, and then we will come back and identify some things. Now, the Lord spake to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, notice that the tenth day of this month that would become the first month for you in your calendar. Yeah, he says, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. What day were they supposed to take this lamb? The 10th day of this particular month, this would be Abib or, or Nisan. And so, in, in, in the month of Nisan, in the month of Abib or Abib, if, if, if your pronunciation is that way, in the 10th day of that month, I need for you to go on to take a lamb. We're setting the precedent now, but in the future, This is what I want you to do on the 10th day of the month. I need for you to find a lamb and take that lamb and you're going to do something. He says, if the household, verse number four, is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons according to each man's need. You shall make your account for the lamb. Look at verse number five. This might sound familiar. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it from the sheep or you shall take it from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of that same month. So when were you supposed to take the lamb? Tenth day. But on the 14th day, something was supposed to happen with the lamb. I want you to stick with me a little bit on this. He says, now on... The 14th day you shall keep it until then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall do what? Kill it. So you take a lamb on the 10th day of the first month of the year, but by the 14th day you're getting ready to do what? To kill it. All right? Follow me with this. I'm almost done. And they shall take some of the blood... And put it on the doorposts and over the lintels of the house where they are eating. Then they shall eat the flesh on the night, roasted in fire. with. Leaven bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water but roast in fire its head and its legs and the entrails you shall let none of it remain until the morning and what remains in the morning you shall burn it with fire look at verse number 11 and thus you shall eat it with your belt on your waist you guys with me With the sandals on your feet and a staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Jump down to verse number 14 now. So this day shall be to you a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting Ordinance. So, as you think about what is happening in the book of Matthew, in the book of Matthew, the disciples and Jesus are actually partaking of the Passover meal. And what's happening as they are partaking of the Passover meal, at least while they are doing so according to Matthew's account, they are remembering that god brought the children of israel out of egypt by a strong and mighty hand so for them they are remembering what god did for their descendants and what that what that meant in that day and age for them but in exodus chapter number 12 it's not a memorial as yet it's a meal that they were going to partake of In lieu of an impending victory that God was going to have or display over Pharaoh, you remember God had sent nine plagues prior as, as he sent Moses his messenger to Pharaoh saying, Let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. And up until this point, Pharaoh didn't budge. And so God says, All right. I'm getting ready now to, to hit the knockout punch. I'm getting ready now to hit that final blow, a blow that even Pharaoh himself is unable to get up from. A blow that Pharaoh, in all of his strength, he, he may have stood firm with the gnats, He may have stood firm when, when I changed the water to blood. He may have stood firm with all the frogs and, and all of this stuff, but I'm going to hit him a blow where it matters. And I want us to appreciate something about God because we, we, we are living in a day and age, not unlike days of old, but we are living in a day and age where seemingly skepticism about God is growing more and more and more. It's more rampant than anything else. You might think being a leftist or a rightist is one of the biggest issues that you could struggle with, but one of the biggest issues facing the church today is the growing number of individuals who are skeptical about scripture, skeptical about God. We need to set our priorities straight. And so here it is. God is, is saying, listen, I'm, I'm doing this, not that I didn't have the power to knock Pharaoh out at the first sign of the bell. God is saying I'm doing this not because Pharaoh had the strength to wrestle with me for these past nine rounds. God is saying I'm doing this because I want when the victory is won for there to be an undisputed victor. I want when the the, the, the bell is rung and the hand is raised, there should be no dispute as to who the true God is. Historically and religiously speaking, the Pharaoh, whoever that Pharaoh was on the throne at the time, he represented a God to the Egyptians. So the Pharaoh stood in place of a God and God is saying, no, 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 no. You might have some power. You might have some authority, but you you need to check yourself. Because the only power and authority you have is what I have allowed you to have. So you tyrant you you, you 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 abuser you I need to put you in check and I'll put you in check so the rest of people who follow you can understand that I am the God of heaven. Sometimes when God doesn't do things immediately. I guess what he's trying to help us to recognize is at the end when victory comes, he wants it to be an undisputed victory. There is going to be no debate who is the stronger God, who is God. There's going to be no debate after the end of this fight. So God is preparing the children of Israel. He knows that victory was coming when he sent Moses the first time, when Moses was facing him in, in the form of a burning bush. But it was going to take some time, but victory was going to come nonetheless. I'm trying to help us to see that sometimes we find ourselves in a space and in a place where victory doesn't look likely, but we serve our God who grants victory. It might not look good for you right now, but you serve our God who grants victory. It might not feel good for you right now, but you serve our God of victory. Victory may not look as if it's on the horizon, but God says, I know when the victory is going to come, you need to trust me. So it's not as if God didn't have the power to knock out Pharaoh some months ago. But he's saying, I'm trying to to cultivate something in this people that have been praying for freedom for the past 400 years. You've been praying for something that you think you want, but you really don't know what it's going to cost to get what you claim you want. Hmm. Freedom sounds good, but even freedom comes at a cost. I would have thought I would have gotten some more amens for that. Not that I need the amens, but today being the 4th of July, I would think we would recognize in, in such a serious way that freedom is great. But it's costly. I'm I'm not talking about the billions spent in the military budget, because we could burn money. I'm talking about the blood that was shed on battlefields and in, in, in places and spaces that you and I may never have the ability to visit. I'm talking about families who have been rocked for the past couple of hundred of years because of the loss of descendants people who were carrying the family name lost their lives on battle on the battlefield so that so that that, that this country could have a level of freedom liberty and justice what you say? liberty and justice for all Watch what you say, great nation. Because we're claiming freedom. And we're claiming liberty and justice for all. But when the freedom came, there wasn't liberty and justice. So God is saying when you want freedom you have to know what that freedom entails when you stand and you proclaim liberty and justice for all God is holding you to liberty and justice for all but that's not even my sermon but God is saying I could have knocked you out a long time ago, Pharaoh. But I'm doing this so that every single one that's here on the face of the earth present will know who the true God of heaven is. It's not a man on a throne. It's not a man who who has wealth and riches. It's, It's not a man who claims to have power. He is a created being. The person who has all power, the person who has all authority is the creator. So the I am stands against Pharaoh and there's a battle that's ensuing, a battle for the souls of the Israelites. I wasn't going to do this right here, but because of time, let me do it this way. There is still a battle that's ensuing today. It's a battle against God. And the devil, and I want you to know that it's a losing fight for those who are on the losing side. It's a victorious victory, a unanimous victory for those who have aligned themselves with Jesus Christ, the Savior of all of mankind. There is going to be no disputing, no debating when those, those clouds are rolled back. There's going to be no debating who the real power was. For now, some people might doubt. For now, some people might be skeptical. For now, some people might spit or quote-unquote want to spit in the face of God. But there is going to come a day when all those individuals will have to bow the knee. There is going to come a day when all those individuals are going to have to confess. And I'm not saying that to, to sound mean. I'm, I'm not saying that to sound like if I'm in a better place than anybody else. But there's going to come a day when all of us will be, will be made to prove that Jesus was in fact and is in fact God himself. So here's what's happening. Jesus, sorry, God is about to give them victory. I'm almost done. God is about to give them victory. And he says, listen, I'm, I need for you to get this meal and have this meal. On the 10th day, you're going to take this lamb. But on the 14th day, you're going to kill it. I told you there are some important things in the details, right? So you take it on the 10th day. It has to be without spot. It has to be without blemish. In other words, it has to be a perfect lamb. You guys know this, right? A male of the first year, most, most, most theologians uh, and commentators will say, well, that's really a reference to, to a lamb really being in the prime, maybe, of its life. And so you will take that lamb on the 10th day, but on the 14th day, you will kill it. Let me show you what happens in between. In between the 10th day where you take it and the 14th day where you kill it, he says you need to keep it. Because I'm going to grant you victory by my hand, but you need to recognize that you have, to, you have some work and you have to invest in this freedom. You need to understand at least to some degree What exactly does freedom cost? So you will take this lamb on the 10th day. You will kill it on the 14th day. But in between, you'll keep it. In other words, you have to take care of this lamb in such a way that it doesn't go from being perfect when you picked it up. To imperfect by the time you're getting ready to sacrifice it. If you've spent time with any type of animal, you know within three, four days, if you don't take care of animals, particularly sheep for some reason, if you don't look after this animal very closely for, for two, three days, chances are you could go from having a healthy sheep to now a sick one. So like a child, you pick it on the 10th day. And just like you would with with a cat or a dog, not calling it a cat or a dog, but just as you would with a family pet, you know what you do with this animal for the next few days? You treat it as one of your own. Everybody's petting this thing, everybody's hugging this thing, You're, you're loving on this thing. And if you are a family with young kids, you know what happens with kids when you treat an animal as if it's one of the family? they get attached to it. Right. To this day, my wife is scared because her, her grandfather gave her a, pig, a piglet at one point and she fed that piglet. It was a runt at the time. And so she fed this thing. She fed this thing. It became one of the biggest in the litter. But what she didn't know, <laughs> the bigger it is, the more mouths it feeds, right? fed this thing, fed this thing. And so one day, she came home. Called for the pig. But what she didn't know was she needed to be saying a prayer of blessing because the pig wasn't on the outside running around. The pig was on the table, barbecued with all these spices and herbs. I don't know if she, she ate the pig, but I know it scared her for life. What, what's the point, preacher? The point is, I, I want you to be invested. Invested, so invested in this thing that even though it's a sacrifice that you're making of an animal, it's going to pain you on the inside when you have to sacrifice that animal. I want you to feel just a little bit. You, you, you won't know what it feels like to give your only begotten son for people that would spit on him. I'm not going to ask you to, to take your only, your only son, the, the one whom you loved. I'm not going to ask you to, to take your son and sacrifice him on a cross for, for people who would, who, would, who would consider him an enemy. I'm not going to ask you to do that. So you won't feel the pain of that. But I want you to just be so invested in what's going on that you understand to a degree what it means to sacrifice something that costs you something. So take that animal. Spend time with it. Become familiar with it. Animals have this this uncanny ability to have their own personality from time to time. And so allow the animal to become part of the family and you get attached to the animal. And on the 14th day, I want you to kill it. But here is what I want us to see and we'll be done. He says, eat it with your belt on, eat it with the sandals on your feet, take your staff in your hand, and eat it in haste. (laughs) When you sit down to have dinner, chances are, especially if you're at home, you want to be relaxed. You don't want to be in haste while you're eating your chicken. You don't wanna be in haste while you're eating your beef, your, your beef roast. You wanna be relaxed. You wanna take your time and you wanna enjoy this meal because I'm not in a rush to go anywhere. So I'll take my time as long as it takes. I will chew 100 times. Isn't that what they say? You need to chew your food 100 times. I don't know who counts that. <laughs> but take your time. Unbuckle your belt, man. Because after you have one plate, if it's good enough, you want to have a second and a third. So you need to unbuckle your belt. Guys, know what I'm talking about? Don't have that belt on, 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 on that hole that it's not supposed to be on because that will cut off the circulation. You need to, you need to be free. If you're at home, you, you know, you're at home so you could kick off your, your sandals or kick off your shoes because you're at home having a meal. You're not expecting to go anywhere. Notice what God says. He says, I want you to have your belts on. Girded. I want you to have your sandals on, on your feet. Have it laced up, tied, and ready to move. I want the staff in your hand. Don't leave it by the door. Have your staff in your hand and be eating this thing in haste. Why is that? Because I want you to be eating in expectation. I want you to be eating in anticipation. I want you to be eating in humility. I want you to be eating because there is a victory on the horizon for you sorrow may endure for a night but joy is coming in the morning we are in the proverbial night but joy is coming in the morning so fast forward now into the into the new testament jesus is eating the passover meal and he tells his disciples you see this bread this bread represents something to the jew but i'm saying this bread would know for you and for those in the future sense this bread will now be a representation of my body my body That was beaten. My body that was broken. My body that was battered and was bruised. You see this? You see this? This fruit of the vine? You see this cup? For the Jews it would have meant something. But for you it's it's going to be a representation of my blood. That was shed on Calvary's cross. For the forgiveness or remission of your sins. You see when you eat it? I need for you to eat it in remembrance. But eat it in anticipation. You see when you eat it? I need for you to eat it in remembrance, but eat it in celebration because I'm going to the cross, but unlike those animals of old, when I go to the cross, I'll die. They'll put me in a borrowed tomb for three days, but I'll raise up on the third day. So I'm eating, I'm eating, I'm eating, and and yes, I'm thinking about what they they had to do with him on the cross. It doesn't give me joy when I think about the beatings and the scourgings and the mockings and all that kind of stuff. But I'm serving a God who died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, but he didn't stay in a tomb. So he says, when you eat, check this out. He says, when you eat, eat in anticipation. He says, when you eat, eat in anticipation. Celebration. When you eat, eat in expectation. What are you expecting? Expect that while you eat this meal, the Lord could come back at any time. When the Israelites were in Egypt, they were eating this meal in preparation to leave the next day. Jesus is saying, when you eat this meal, eat in the expectation that I could come back. You guys are hearing this. What type of lives do you think we would be living or should be living if we really believed that Jesus would come back now? The sin that we plan or have been planning to do this evening, you think you would have made that plans or those plans if you believe, truly believed, that Jesus could come back right now? You think you'd be having your mind on anything else if you knew for sure that Jesus would be coming back right now other than, you know what, God, I'm praising you. Your mind would be on nothing else but Jesus. If you believe for certain that Jesus will come back at any any moment in time. So he says, when you eat, be prepared. When you eat, eat in faith. When you eat, eat in celebration. You guys not getting When you eat, eat in anticipation. When you eat... He says, eat in expectation because when you're eating this, it's a telltale sign that you believe that Jesus is going to come again. And even if he doesn't return in a lifetime, when he does return, you believe that you are going to be one of those individuals who are caught up in the cloud together to meet him. So when you eat this meal, check this out now, when you eat this meal, you are saying to yourself and to everybody around, I believe In a risen Savior. I believe in a returned Savior. I believe in a victorious Savior. And I submit myself to this God. You want to know what the message in the meal is? Let me show you this and I'll be done. Joe David, let me just do this really quick and I'll be done. The scripture says Jesus takes bread. Sometimes because of what we're currently doing, we could lose some of the symbolism behind the emblems, right? I say that because we've got to the point now where we're using the individual packets. And if we're not careful, if, if we're not reminded from time to time, we forget the major symbolism behind the bread and the, and, and, and the, and the fruit of the vine or the cup. I'll tell you right now, so that nobody could post this on Facebook or wherever, I'm not a one cupper. I am all about the contents, not the cup. <laughs> but let me show you the symbolism. And we'll be done. Jesus says for the Jew, these emblems would have meant something. If we appreciate what it would have meant for the Jew, it helps us now in our appreciation for what we partake of when we partake of the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. But check this. He says he blesses the bread and he breaks it. And he gave to his disciples. And they took and they broke. She's trying to ba- break off the smallest piece she could find. <laughs> took and he gave to the disciples. They broke and they gave. They broke and they gave. They broke and they gave. Don't, don't, don't be greedy with the bread. We're going to get to the juice just now. They broke and they gave. Don't be greedy with the bread. <laughs> Pass the bread. Somebody pass the bread. They broke, and they gave. I want you to see this: break and give, break and give. That bread might be too small. I'm not like Jesus. I I can't turn five loaves into a multitude. (laughs) They broke. Everybody mightn't get. But here's what I want us to notice: I have to physically lay my hands on this bread physically tear this bread and then put it in my mouth. I'm sorry guys, I, I didn't bake this, this is pita bread, this, this isn't even good. <laughs> that's why, we need, that, that's why they, they made their own bread. I will physically lay my hands on the bread and break, then I'll pass it to the next person. That person with giving given thought would take the exact same bread handle the bread, break, and then pass to the next person. The next person without thought would handle the bread, break, and then pass it to the next person. How many hands passes on a piece of bread before that bread becomes, in our, in our day and age, unsanitary? <laughs> but they're not so much thinking about the sanitary nature because before they came, they were already thinking about the gathering. I need for us to understand that worship takes preparation. You can't just come to worship all willy-nilly. You have to be prepared to worship. When they came to worship, they came prepared, not just prepared to worship God, but they came in preparation to fellowship one with with another. So I had to do something at home. Even as I entered the house, I had to do something because I'm coming into the assembly and there's going to be a point where I touch the bread. So in my cleanliness, I'm not just thinking about me. In my cleanliness, check this, I'm thinking about you. So when I come to worship, the primary focus of my worship is God. But there's a secondary benefit to worship. That is, I'm connecting with my fellow brethren. If, If you come here not thinking about the person next to you or the person that you haven't seen for two weeks, then you have not come to worship. If your relationship is just between you and God and it's me and God, then you're you're following a different savior. Because he says fellowship is between us and God and us and each other. So when we come to worship, our focus is the creator, but he says you need to love the people that you're with. So he says that bread represents fellowship. They didn't have a problem breaking and touching and eating and all that kind of stuff because they were in fellowship. They didn't have a problem with with eating with unclean hands at one given point in time because their issue was fellowship. I prefer to be in your presence and eat with you than to not be in your presence at all. I'm almost done. How many mouths do you think could fit on this before this becomes totally unclean? I pity the person who gets this cup last. <laughs> but any the second thing he does is he takes this cup. I promise you I'm done. Mm. He takes the cup. After he had stopped saying this, this is a representation of my, my blood. He says when you partake of these emblems, you do so In remembrance of me that word remembrance is not just to keep in memory I promise you I told you I'm done Joe David I'm done that word remembrance is not just a flash in a fading memory of years gone by that word remembrance means or gives the implication of adherence to So if you are in communion with Jesus, not just physically, but in the way that really matters, if you are in communion with Jesus, you honor him by living a life that's faithful to him. Don't just come and be on Christmas Day, sing sweet baby Jesus songs, but all year long, you weren't worshipping God. Don't just come on Sunday to say you're giving God praise. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And even after you leave these doors, you're like a devil out in the world. No, no, no. If you have to remember Jesus, it's not just seeing this person on a cross with a crown of thorns on their heads. It's you devoting your life wholeheartedly, church. You could say amen to that. Amen. It's us devoting our lives wholeheartedly to a God who came he lived he died he was buried he rose he ascended and we believe he will return again so here the message in the meal the message in the meal says we serve a living god the message in the meal says we need to be faithful to our god the message in the meal says we need to have fellowship with God and we need to have fellowship with each other. The message in the meal says we need to be people of anticipation. We need to be people of celebration. We need to be people of expectation. Jesus could come back tonight. He could come back. Come, Lord, come. How many people could say, come, Lord, come? If you can't say, come, Lord, come now, now might be a good time as the elders come up first to come up and ask for some praise. Because we need to be people who could say without a doubt, come Lord, come. Not tomorrow, I'm tired of people dying. Not next week, I'm tired of losing loved ones. Not next month, I'm tired of sickness. Not next year, I'm tired of pain. We need to be people who are praying, Lord, come And come now. But I know you're holding your hand because you want more people to come to Christ. And we have a responsibility that in as much as we're praying, Lord, come now. God is saying, I want to hold up. Because your neighbor, whom you haven't talked to yet, they might come to Christ. Your cousin, who is outside of Christ, they haven't come to Christ. Your co-worker, who you've been on the job with for 14 years, they haven't come to Christ. So you might be praying, come Lord, come. But I'm saying... Some people might still need to give their life to me. So the message in the meal says we need to be busy about it. The message in the meal says we need to be faithful about it. The message in the meal says we just need to be about God's business. Huh. If you believe God, say amen. If you love God, say amen. Amen. No, nah, that wasn't good enough. <laughs> if you believe God, say amen. amen. If you love God, say amen. amen. Come on, stand up. If you believe God, say amen. amen. If you love God, say amen. Come on. Amen. If you believe God, say amen. amen. If you love God, say amen. amen. God, say amen. amen. Let's sing our song of...